0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Online Selling Partner Podcast. I'm Isaiah Fritz and today I have uh, my friend, Matt. Matt, uh, go ahead and introduce yourself in your own words and a little bit about your history and how you got to where you're at today.
1: Yeah, sure, I'll try and keep it brief. Thanks for having on me or thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I've been in e-commerce for about 15 years, really started on the retailer side with footlocker.com um, nice. a long time ago. So um, I, <laughs> I was a sneakerhead at heart. And nice. uh, we sold a lot of shoes back in the day. Um, so that's really kind of where my e-commerce uh, journey began, which was great because I got to see the retail side um, from a brick and mortar Omni perspective very early on in my career.
0: So how did you compete against Zappos? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, <laughs> back then I didn't, um,
1: I think it was just so different um, where we, especially me, I was really in this sneaker game, like basketball, Jordans, et cetera, where just because of nike's distribution we didn't have to compete so much with zappos in that in my category um, i think the running category and casual categories are a little bit different but in my category i didn't really see them as a competitor just because their distribution was pretty limited in my space so probably the best way i can answer that awesome yeah so um and from there i went over to uh i moved to portland oregon uh you know just ironically um but i started working for a brand manufacturer of footwear um company called Keen footwear in the hiking and uh in the hiking outdoor work boot space um so went to the brand side which was great because i then got to apply what the retailer was thinking into the brand side
0: um nice.
1: and we kind of built that on the brand marketing side and then about a year and a half in um gm came to me and asked me like hey you have e-commerce background go figure out this amazon thing <laughs> this was i think in 15 or 16 nah, i might have been 17.
0: and you say gm uh General, general General manager. Okay, nice. Okay, Um, of your of your company. Correct. Yep. Yeah, like General Motors, like GM. Uh,
1: No, no, that'd be a whole different ballgame.
0: Yeah,
1: no, I stay, I stay away. I like automobiles, but I stay away from. I haven't worked in that sector um, at all. But um, yeah, the GM came to me and said, "Hey, figure this out," and I said, "Uh, "Okay." Um, And so at that time, I knew nothing. And uh, one other person that I worked with there, we kind of stripped it down on the work boot side. And I read every article I read, you know, podcasts weren't a big thing back then, at least that I was aware of. Um, And I just started going at it. And I started, you know, ripping apart listings and looking at, you know, P70 algorithms and content scores and all the nuances of it. And basically rebuilt the entire catalog um, for one division and then got asked to Expand to more divisions and then global and then from global Amazon, which was like nine countries and from there on out um, and then eventually I was like footwear and apparel has been awesome for me, but I want to get some different experience. So I um, was fortunate enough to be recruited by East Point Sports, which is where I'm currently at in the hard goods and, you know, leader in recreational games and um, run the digital division here at East Point.
0: That's great. So, what what type of uh, products? I know you said they're doing sports, but what what is kind of the the main categories of products that you're, you're selling?
1: For a hundred percent, yeah. So, it's, we're all in the recreational game space, and there's some toy and some fitness and and stuff like that to do. But most of it, it's um, we're probably one of the leaders in cornhole boards,
0: nice um, uh,
1: pool tables, ping pong tables, dart boards, everything in that game room space or outdoor recreation, tailgating, whatever it is um we probably have made it or we do make it and uh we sell it you know mostly in North America we have a little bit distribution overseas but um our, our biggest um the biggest retailers in the US are we distribute at so
0: and you are sounds like you're definitely dealing with large heavy items all the time yeah. pool tables um yeah, i'm assuming like a, a volleyball i think yeah. i've i've seen yep. point volleyball stuff and these are all large Uh, oversize items. Uh, I know when you're talking in the 3P world, we call it oversize, anything over 18 inches. Um, So yeah, I'm super pumped to hear more about your experience, Matt, because there's a lot to unpack there. So uh, um, first off is how do you do it when you're dealing with these these large uh, shipping increases and with the overpriced items and how do you continue to price competitively in the market and know what to do and what to sell for. Yeah,
1: I think it's been a big learning curve for me, going from selling a shoebox size to uh, you know a 200 pound pool table yeah. via Amazon is a is a night and day difference. I think there's a couple things to unpack there. One, I think it's constantly changing, and I think a lot has happened in the past um, nine to you know 18 months with Amazon's focus on profitability that has changed the landscape of what the future of big and bulky will be. Um, yeah. But a couple things. One piece that was also a huge change for me is we our business was 50% direct import, 60% direct import when I came yeah. um, to East Point. Um, that is dramatically shifting back um, back to domestic. But that was one piece how we were able to stay competitive from a, a price perspective. Um, because we did so much direct import, we were able to manage costs, manage sourcing during some of the pandemic, but there were definitely increases. Um, so that was one piece that was that was on our side. Now that Amazon's hold back heavily on their direct import.
0: Yeah. Explain that to people that are not doing direct import with Amazon, because there's a lot that are not. So can I explain that?
1: Yeah, 100%. So what's interesting is our business outside of Amazon is like 70, 80% direct import. It's okay. uh, it's heavily. It's really well done within the Walmart's targets, the big, bass retailers of the world.
0: And you would define direct import. And I'm just you know trying to dumb it down for everybody. Yeah. Our dummies like me, right? So, so define direct import.
1: Yeah. So direct import is shipping straight from our factories or from the port overseas, straight to one of the retailers' warehouses or store locations, um, okay. depending on the model right. that you do. Yeah, even store locations. That's interesting. Yeah, it, and that's... it depends on the store and customer, but yes, it can happen.
0: Awesome, and obviously that's a huge advantage uh, for cost savings. Um, and usually, does the retailer pay for that?
1: It depends on the agreement you have and the term you have. Um, sometimes you can pay to the port. Sometimes you can pay all the way to the U.S. port, and then they pay from port to country. So it really depends on the incoterm. Usually it's a split funding. And,
0: um, and define that for me, too. You said incoterm? What does that Yeah, mean?
1: so incoterm. So when you do direct import, there are different, basically, taxes sourcing codes that you pay. Oh. And really that defines who's responsible for the duty, who's responsible for the tax, to nice. get into the country or out of the country. So it's more on the import-export sourcing side, but that's who defines who's paying for what. I see. So
0: if you say like, uh, like, you know, I'm Isaiah. So Isaiah's taking, uh, how would you call it? Like Isaiah's taking the Incos on this or like- Yeah, so
1: I'll, I'll give you an example. So I'll give you an Amazon example. So Amazon, <laughs> this is, Amazon created an own Incoterm called MDDP, but um, okay. it's modified duty, but basically, so they'll pick it up uh, a container load They'll pick it up at the port, okay. um, in 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 this case Asia, um, and they'll pay from Asia all the way to their facilities in the U.S. So they say um,
0: Amazon's Incoterms are FOB Port Shanghai.
1: Yep.
0: And then they pay for it, and and they call that MDDP.
1: Yeah, the, in this case, yes, but they operate under FCA or FOB, whatever it may be. But I just use that as an
0: example. No, no, yeah, keep going. This, great education for me. Like, right. Like I'm, uh, I'm not currently doing direct import with vendor central, so it helps me. And I I know there's plenty of people out in the audience that are like, Hey, maybe I should be doing direct import. Right. I have large items also.
1: We can talk for days about that. I will, um, there's some pros and some cons onto that so we can talk about it, but yes. So MDDP it's modified, um, I'm blanking on it right now, but the regular term is DDP, which is the normal, what, uh, any kind of other retailer would operate under. But, um, basically it's just Amazon shifted how who's paying for what, um, mm-hmm. on that, on that inco term. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, direct import with Amazon is unlike any other retailer out there. Walmart oh targets, Costco, et cetera. It's a whole different ball game. Um, managed differently. Their algorithms are different. Um, that you could do an entire podcast and I know some experts in that I'm, I think I've become pretty well-versed. I'm far from an expert, but there's some people that just specialize in direct import, um, and it's, it's pretty impressive what they can do. But uh, over time, we're slowly shifting back to domestic because I would say Amazon's direct import algorithms, predictability, um, communication, uh, data integrity is challenging, um, and it can put a lot of stress on manufacturers for their sourcing models, et cetera.
0: Okay. That's super interesting. Yes. Uh, Definitely taking a rain check on a whole podcast about direct uh, import because that is really valuable. Exactly. I can make or break your profitability.
1: Uh, It can. Um, Honestly, and we're going through that right now. uh, We are actually deprecating some products because we can't... When they were, I would say, originally set up for direct import model, the pricing was favorable at the time, especially for the customer. But if we can no longer do direct import with Amazon, now we have to bring it in domestically. We can't work on the margins that we're currently operating on because then all the entitlements come into place and we would either have to take wholesale increases and then MSRP increases, which isn't always favorable for the consumer and Amazon probably won't let you go through. So sometimes we do have to kill products that if we can't do the direct import any longer.
0: So if, if you're coming in uh, and doing it domestically, in that case, are you paying the tariffs also? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're going to be paying the tariffs, and you're paying obviously the shipping to get it here, and yep. um, and is there any other fees in that?
1: Yeah. So there's um. So yeah, pay all the fees to get it here. Then there's uh, obviously a, a processing at our warehouse. So we have three PL. We don't own our we don't own our facilities, our warehousing facilities. But um yeah. So processing to unload and then processing to outload uh, obviously as well. So there's some pick pack ship fees in there too. Um, from a landed cost perspective.
0: Yeah. I always love talking about profitability because it's the conversation no one wants to have, but if you want to stay in business, you better have it. Right. And, And so it's important, right? How can we affect each other's bottom line? And if this podcast can do one thing, hopefully it can help someone make more money. Right. And, uh, so yeah, that's really interesting stuff. And so yeah, tell tell us some more learnings and, and also these uh, deprecated products uh, we should definitely, you know, talk about. Maybe we could talk. help you guys out with uh, maybe doing some stuff on 3P or something. Yeah,
1: so it's funny enough. So in some of it, I'm actually running a model right now, your profitability, yes, no one really wants to talk about it, especially in e-commerce. Um, you know, yeah. the, the trend over 10 years was top line growth, expansion, yeah. assortment, et cetera. Um, but uh, I was always really keen on running p for individual items, business units, et cetera, yeah. um, all in, you know, even on the 1P side. But right now, especially, I'm actually working on a model right now to compare big and bulky, our current 1P business, uh, 3P FBA, 3P yeah. um, FBM, 3P SFP, yeah. and, um, and like a, uh, an expert 3P seller that specializes in big and bulky, all down to the bottom line, EBITDA line uh, exactly. to see what, what is possible.
0: I, I'm working on right now in, in making an entire calculator for vendor central profitability, working with a 3P partner profitability, working with uh, like you're saying, self-fulfilled prime yourself doing all these things because you're right. Every brand needs that. And yep. I love, you know, maybe we could collaborate on something after you go through this, because that, that is awesome. I think uh, if we could help people, what we really want to do. So yeah this is this is awesome. This is turning into uh, some some really uh, meat and potatoes pretty quick. I love it. so it's,
1: it's a it's a really thing and um, um, the one peak profitability, which a lot of vendors don't mm-hmm. do to the bottom line, Amazon's contribution margin level, which um, I can't take credit for it. I' have someone on my team that actually um, built the models, wrote all the Excel formulas to basically estimate what Amazon's contribution and bottom line margins are um, based on, you know, FBA fees, what they're paying for shipping and storage, everything like that. And then we compare it to, you know, what are our drop ship fees because we sell items multiple ways. Um, so how do we ensure that there's parity, um, not parity is probably the wrong word, but, you know, not price wars in the market. So we're evaluating all of that down to the level. And I think that's to be successful in e-commerce in the future, you're going to have to, I don't, I don't think there's any way around it.
0: That's right. And especially you haven't mentioned this yet the rise of advertising costs
1: yep up 35% or something since pre pre pandemic levels or something like that i um, think was the latest ad. it's uh it's pretty crazy yes
0: yeah so on top of all that advertising right amazon's revenue top line revenue only went up like 2% last year but their ad revenue from sellers went up 24% yep yeah so they're just and, sucking our bottom line <laughs> yep.
1: and they're padding theirs i think the yeah. The advertising, what what was the recent one? Their their margins that they predict on advertising is 70%, 70%, 75% or something like that. So yeah, they're sucking it out and they're padding theirs, which is uh, it's a heck of a business model, I would
0: say. That's right. That's right. So what can brands do to combat that? What are you doing, Matt, to combat that?
1: I think it's uh, a couple of things where you, you know, I think it all is going to start with optimizing your products for the e-commerce channel. I think there's a lot of brands out there right now that are just selling one product Um, across all the channels, which is gonna, which is gonna be hard. And I think certain categories are gonna have it harder than others. Obviously we're in, um, I've been fortunate enough in my career to be in less competitive, um, spaces on Amazon from a CPC perspective. You know, I'm not in the pharmacy sector. I'm not in the grocery sector. I'm not in like commodity. Well, I guess we're in a little bit of commodity, but I'm not in super areas where, you know, CPCs where you have to have
0: supplements. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Supplements. Exactly. It's perfect cool. like that where, you know, where your A costs or your tacos are 40 to 45%, yeah. you know, in some of that stuff just to stay alive because there's so much competitive there. So I'm very fortunate in that aspect.
0: That's great. What, what do you shoot for your tacos?
1: Um, it depends. I mean, uh, I think it really depends on the life cycle of the product. You know, when it's we're launching a product, the tacos might be 30% oh. just because we get a breakthrough. But when it hits a maturity cycle, um, you know, Anywhere from five to fifteen percent, depending on how long the lifespan is. But I would say it's very much product lifecycle dependent.
0: That makes sense. And what about uh, what about uh, with your products? Like, do they even have an LTV?
1: <laughs> it's a good question. Not really. Um, no, I'm it. I'm like, yeah.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Tell-
1: yeah, and this this plans into our direct to consumer, you know, business, um, which I had to, you know, kind of look at and take down some of it too. But yeah, we sell you sell one cornhole board, it's good for five years, you know. And most people don't have lifetime value models of five, ten, five to ten years in e-commerce unless you're getting multiple, multiple purchases throughout that throughout that year. Um so yeah, we don't really have L T V value in a customer. We can get some multi basket, but lifetime of keeping that customer is really, it's one purchase and one purchase only.
0: Okay. That's why I'm wondering uh, if you could do uh, like uh, some sort of wallet share or cross sell or uh, upsell opportunities. I think you could.
1: Um, The 1P model is obviously hard because you don't have the data to, to reverse, you know, the marketing. Um, And we, like I said, I've um, just because of the profit challenges on some of our D direct to consumer models, we've had to suspend our operations there. So even like, you know, cross pollinating, retargeting, et cetera, across or between our DTC channels and our Amazon business or Walmart business, it's pretty minimal, but um, you could, you can do some add-on sales, you know, cornhole boards with bean bags or something like that, if they don't come with it, but it's, it's minimal at, at that aspect within our business, um, especially because some of our table or some of our games like pool tables, we sell them with accessories. Yeah. So it's not like I'm going to try and sell a a pool table and then get someone to buy a cornhole board at the same time. You know, it's it's that that would be a stretch in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And so throughout your career, and and I know you've worked in a couple different industries, apparel, and um, you know, now where you're at today, I guess you call it hard goods. Is that
1: yeah, hard goods? Yeah, versus soft lines in the footwear and apparel space. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What uh, what do you feel like has been the your biggest accomplishment in your career? Oh man, um, in the e-commerce Amazon space.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think I'll, I'll try and my I was very very proud of the team that we built at my previous company Keen Footwear.
0: Nice. Um, yeah.
1: That was a I mean you know a twenty five person global marketplace organization that was sharing products. Sharing information, sharing advertising portals, sharing data um, and across not just Amazon, but it was, you know, Tmall in China and Zalando in Europe. You know, we were we were sharing a lot of insights across that entire team that was, you know, um, almost a 10, a nine figure, a nine figure business. Um, yeah. And that was I was really impressed with how everyone came together and each region operated independently, but we, we worked collaboratively. And I think that was probably my biggest accomplishment. I would say on top of that, coming here to East Point and the team that I've built here, I'm really proud of what they've done because we, it was a complicated challenge coming out of the pandemic and um, the right. previous teams had to make some really hard changes. And those hard decisions impacted kind of what we inherited. And we've had to really, uh, I guess, learn and then untangle organize and rebuild. And we're kind of on that rebuilding cycle right now. And it's, it's really challenging when you got a domestic business, a direct import business, a dropship business, and pricing is all over the map, and you have a completely new team coming in. You know, To get that untangled in less than 18 months and, and starting to rebuild from there uh, is impressive. So I think it's probably twofold right there.
0: I love it. And I love how both of your answers to that question revolved around your team. And I think, like, that's obviously a sign of uh, a true leader when, when you know that uh, that is the biggest accomplishment, to, to build and grow people, right? And so I, uh, I really admire that. And so, um, so if other people out there that are in your shoes, they're running an Amazon uh, 1P, maybe a hybrid model with 3P. Or by the way, do you guys do a hybrid model?
1: We don't right now. We are considering it. Um, we definitely going to have to be careful in how we work with it. You have the 1P, you know, sure. kind of, you know, threats and stuff you work like that, but we are considering it given some, I think, guardrails we can work around with 1P and why, why we think we can make it work.
0: Yeah, we, we definitely talk about that a lot on the podcast and we have some more really cool podcasts about people doing hybrid models successfully, unsuccessfully, and <laughs> yeah. you know, so, some cool stuff on that. So we do talk about a lot of that, but uh, but any, somebody in your shoes, what what do you th- feel like if you had uh, the biggest takeaway after they're listening to this podcast? Say, hey, go to work and do this, and to help your bottom line. You know, what is something that you can think of
1: to help the bottom line? I mean, yeah. in my opinion, everything with Amazon, the success of Amazon one p or three p starts with literally going down to the root granular ASIN level data that's all right. the way in. I, I don't, I don't care what you do on the business. I don't care where you came from or whatever it may, but if you don't understand the nuts and bolts data and sure that's correct out of vendor central, I, you can spend all the money you want in the world, but you have to make sure that data is correct. And so my opinion is know your data and ensure it's correct. And once you have it, run it through a P and L because you have to understand every piece that's impacting the bottom line. And, and you know this, I, I've listened to enough you know, chargebacks, pick back and f- pick fees, yeah. vines, born to runs, everything, every piece that goes into launching and managing a product on Amazon, you have to know every data input that goes into it, whether that's a plus or a negative from your bottom line. Once you understand that, I think you can apply that to any product you have, any type of business, whether it's hybrid or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, build it up from there, but it starts with the data and through and through.
0: I love it. Are you using anything besides Excel to take a look at this? And
1: yeah, so, um, so we have, so our, our retail media partner has a platform that helps analyze it a little bit further. And then, um, we actually are just starting, we did this on my last company, but we're Extracting all of our data out of Amazon and then we'll layer, you know, a business intelligence tool, probably Power BI on top of it. Nice. Um, and then we'll start integrating, you know, our cost of goods, our our packing fees, and probably build out kind of what the profit structure is like from their advertising expenses, et cetera. But for right now, it's mostly Excel, some portals with our partners, and then eventually we'll get into business intelligence, which we were doing at my last work.
0: So if anyone wants to reach out to you and maybe connect with you, talk to you, where's the the best place for them to do that?
1: Yeah, probably uh, LinkedIn is the the best place. I know you're active. I'm active. That community on LinkedIn within e-commerce is is incredible. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at without the knowledge and the networking that I've done. But LinkedIn, message me, um, and then I can give you my email, and my cell phone. We can text, call, whatever. But LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to message me right away.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And hey, maybe uh. Maybe we'll have a whole nother episode one day uh, talk about direct import or something. (laughs) Who knows?
1: I'm all for it. Sign me up. I'm happy to do it. No problem at all. All
0: right. I'm going to go ahead and, and sign off. Everyone that's listening to this, if you've got value, please just share this podcast with one of your friends or on your social media. Thank you.